This is WCPO FM 1051 on your FM dial, Cincinnati, Ohio. WKRC, Cincinnati. With this is the nation station. Hi again, everyone, and welcome to the Cincy Shirts Podcast. It's episode number 11. Yes, this episode goes to 11. I'm P.F. Wilson, content director for Cincy Shirts and our sibling site, OldSchoolShirts.com. Today on our show, Jonathan Gandalf from Braxton Brewing. It was the perfect storm. Literally everything went wrong with his brew. Uh, I think Greg even caught on fire at one point, leaning over the boil kettle. Apparently it was a somewhat regular occurrence with Greg. Bracton Brewing is a craft brewer located in Covington, Kentucky. That's right across the river from us here in Cincinnati, for those of you outside the area. They've been at it for about eight years now, and they brew some really good beer, let me tell you. Jonathan tells us how it all got started, about the craft beer business in general. And this was recorded, by the way, the Tuesday after the Super Bowl. I tell you that only because there's a reference to a tweet that Jonathan sent during the game that went viral. You might have heard about that. Uh, if thinking back to the end of the Super Bowl there. And also our product manager and craft beer expert, Billy DeVore, sits in on this one as well. So yeah, let's talk to Braxton Brewing. Cincinnati, Ohio. Cincinnati, Ohio. I come from Cincinnati. She came down Cincinnati. Just maybe think of me once in a while. Cincyshirts.com in Cincinnati. I just put your name right up there, right? Yep. Cool. Impressive. Lord of the Rings? Yeah. You Slightly different, but I get that. Oh, it time. is? Yeah. I think Lord of the Rings is ALF instead of OL. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. I'm sure you've done the research yeah. over the years. <laughs> I've actually, I've never seen the movie. I've read the book. The Hobbit, but I've never seen Lord of the Rings. I yeah. think I do it out of like subconscious spite. Like, yeah, I was like, yeah. Oh, you have to see it. Your name's Gandalf. I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> exactly. I actually, don't have to do anything. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. But yeah, we're here with uh, Jonathan Gandalf, the marketing guy from Braxton Brewery, Braxton Brewing Company. Is that uh, what's yeah, the official we, name? Braxton Brewing Company. Just Braxton. Yeah, Braxton. Yeah, <laughs> you guys exactly. brew beers out of Covington. Right? Exactly, yeah. And we've got a second facility now in Newport, our innovation facility, Braxton Labs, um, in the back of the party source. So we've got Northern Kentucky um, on lock and uh, seeing where we go from there. We're launching Columbus, Ohio distribution uh, this week. I'm actually hitting the road right after this and going up there and um, starting to sell and serve some beer up there. So spreading our wings. Heck yeah. yeah. When you got a good product and people love your beer, it's it's easy from there, right? Yeah, it's a fun product to uh, share with friends, family, and strangers, uh, essentially everywhere we go. You know, I, I joke I never leave home without a trunk full of beer, which um, is good and bad if you get pulled over. Yeah. <laughs> so try to, try to follow the speed limit at least a little bit. Always a lot of fun to take our beer and share it with people. It's like, no, officer, I promise this is from work. Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about the story of uh, Braxton uh, or how, yeah. how it became uh, – there's got to be a good feel-good story. Yeah, right? uh, it's not I, just like yeah, we started brewing beer and yeah, exactly. Made I, it big. I always joke the there's got to be um, some struggles involved. Exactly. And, there's never nobody ever writes a business plan and starts just making money. And <laughs> I wish it were that easy. But um, so Braxton kind of starts oh probably seven or eight years ago now. Two brothers, Jake and Evan Rouse, uh, separated by two years. Jake Rouse, the older brother, was going to Indiana University in Bloomington, Indiana, and. Um, 
he had just uh, unpacked for his freshman year, and his little brother Evan was with him and his parents, and on their way out of town, they stopped at Upland Brewing Company there in Bloomington, who uh, makes some really good beer. Um, They were, you know, eight years ago, there weren't near as many craft breweries, so it was a very unique experience. On the way out, uh, the waitress kind of asked, hey, it's our free daily tour. If you guys are interested, you're here, you might as well. And they kind of said, well, yeah, sure, we'll go on your tour. And Evan, the little brother, had always been the one to, like, take apart the VCR just to put it back together. He loved math, loved science, loved to just tinker with stuff. (laughs) And um, something about the brewing process just kind of clicked with him. The creativity, the artistry, the chemistry in it, it really clicked with him. And so uh, on the car ride home from Bloomington, Indiana, he actually ordered a homebrew kit from his iPhone in the backseat of his parents' cars at the ripe age of 16 years old. Oh, that's awesome. Um, So he at least had the wherewithal (laughs) to ask for forgiveness rather than permission. And so he waited until it showed up on his parents' front doorstep to kind of tell them what his plan was. I think there was something enticing about having a beer source in the garage to Evan's dad, Greg. Um, and so they kind of, they put parameters in place, right? They said, you've purchased the equipment, you'll continue to purchase the equipment, you do all the cleaning, you'll get to taste the beer, you won't get to drink the beer. But ultimately, if you keep it to our garage, keep it confined, you know, there is, there's worse vices a 16 year old could have, because there is a lot of learning that comes from home brewing as well. Yeah. And so they started homebrewing and just kind of kept refining what they were doing in their garage. Evan, being the tinker that he was, you know, quickly moved to essentially welding and building his own equipment um, kind of in the garage. And uh, at 18, he won a homebrew competition here in Cincinnati called Beer and Sweat with his Maybach. And so that was uh, kind of a raise some eyebrows locally, I think. Everybody's like, oh, this young guy's kind of, how's he doing this? And uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, no breweries could hire him because he was 18 years old at the time. Right. Hofbrauhaus, House, a little bit more liberal on legal drinking age, <laughs> said, we'll give you an internship. And so he started interning at Hopper House just as kind of a seller manager, cleaning, organizing. Uh, but he showed such an aptitude for it, he actually started brewing there. And that's a great place for a young brewer to learn because it's German engineering, right? So it's some yeah. of the best in the world. But it's all about process, efficiency, and scale. And so what he was learning is he's learning how to brew at scale at Hofbrauhaus House and um, still using home brewing as his creative outlet. And sure enough, eventually he wants those two things to combine. And he kind of tells his older brother, Jake, who just so happens had studied entrepreneurship at IU. Um, Evan goes to Jake and says, I, I want to start a brewery, but I don't know how to start a business. Is this something you're interested in? Jake was living in Indianapolis at the time at a software company. Just so happens he had a roommate who was um, in marketing. That was myself. And then we had a third roommate who was in finance. Um, so the entrepreneurship, finance, and marketing guys kind of took it on as a side project and thought that'd be that. And we'd help Evan go on his way. That's awesome. Uh, You're like a brewing uh, boy band. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, But it became very real very fast. And then um, fortunately, Evan's mentor, Richard Dubay, who was working at Moreline and actually had tried hiring Evan Evan several times, joined Evan and Jake and their father, Greg, as the fourth co-founder of the team. And so that whole story of being born in the garage kind of resonates through everything we do. And that garage was located on Braxton Drive in Union, Kentucky, which is where we get our name. Okay. Um, So, yeah, that all happened. In 2015, um, or 2014, we opened in March of 2015, and um, we're coming up on our three-year anniversary here. March 24th, we're going to throw a big party at the tap room for it. That's awesome. That was long and rambly, I'm sorry. No, that was great. That's yep. what we want. So what's a 16-year-old know about beer as far as, I mean, you know, what are you, you're drinking, uh, what, Beast Ice and... Uh, <laughs> 
you know, Natty Light and whatever else. Yeah. And he's making, like, quality. Like, he actually made the recipe for Storm. Right, exactly. So that's what I was going to say is um, Storm, our Golden Cream Ale, it's our most popular beer. That was kind of his and his dad's um, baby, if you will. They just kept rebrewing it and trying to figure out how to perfect this sessionable but flavorful beer that they could share with friends who come to the garage and they're your Bud Miller Coors drinkers. And so they wanted this beer that was um, flavorful enough that they were proud of it, but sessionable and approachable enough that they could share it with anybody. And I think they they brewed the final recipe of Storm that we then used to build on the bigger equipment that we have at our tap room right now. I think they brewed 43 times. And the uh, name Storm actually comes from the last time they got it right uh, was actually during Hurricane Sandy had come inland, and it was one of those rainstorms that just sat on the Midwest for an entire weekend. And they said it was the perfect storm. Literally everything <laughs> went wrong with this brew. Uh, I think Greg even caught on fire at one point. Uh, his <laughs> oh, shirt wow. How leaning, that even leaning over the boil kettle. Apparently it was a somewhat regular occurrence with Greg. But, um, <laughs> so that happened in this, it was just this monsoon of a storm all weekend. But that beer turned out perfect it was what they were going for and what happened was uh, they actually overboiled it this is all technical talk mm-hmm. the marketing guy's gonna sound stupid trying to say but they boiled it for longer than they had been previously and um, that's actually something we still do a technique we still do and that gets rid of some of the like canned corn creaminess that comes with a lot of cream ales um, which is actually why we call our beer a golden cream ale because it's actually a hybrid between a golden ale and a cream ale that makes sense that's yeah. awesome yeah so wait, what's a, a cream ale versus a regular ale? Yeah, so a cream ale, um, what's interesting is in Cincinnati, it's got this rich history with Little Kings, right? And that's right. so a lot of people are familiar with this cream ale. Some people who aren't as familiar with it expect it to be like a stout or something that is creamy that has van- like vanilla flavor to it. Mm-hmm. Um, is actually the cream ale comes from the mouthfeel of the beer. It's supposed to be a really smooth mouthfeel, kind of like a creamy mouthfeel, uh, but no actual flavor of cream. Uh-huh. Um, it's brewed with flaked maize, which is corn. Um, so it gets a little bit of sweetness more so than your pale ale or your straight golden ale would. Um, and so we've kind of, we think we've pulled out the best of a golden ale and the best of a cream ale and combined them into storm. And sure enough, it, it's our most popular beer here in greater Cincinnati. Nice. Yeah. So did someone have to catch on fire every time that uh, you brew? <laughs> we we removed that part storm? of the recipe um, <laughs> to this point, at least. We'll see what happens in the future. Nice. Yeah, we just need another hurricane to fl- come on in for our next flag. Yeah, there beer. you go. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So do you tweak recipes as you go along, or like a storm? The same storm we have now going to be the same storm. In 10 years? Great question. Uh, It should be the same. Quality and consistency is what we pride ourselves on. We, from a very early point in our business, much more so than um, most breweries of our size, we invested a million dollars in a QAQC lab. And that was Richard Dubé's influence on the business. He's got a rich history. He's been brewing longer than Evan's been alive. (laughs) He was at, he started his career at Molson. He's been at Sam Adams, Labatt's, more line, obviously, but he's a microbiologist by trade, what he's been trained to do. Uh, So he is very passionate about quality and consistency wow. so the the flavor or the the result that the con- customer gets should be the same every time but um, how we get there changes with the equipment we started with 100 barrels of fermentation capacity we're now over 1100 barrels of fermentation fermentation capacity at our brewery so Instead of brewing one batch a day, you're now brewing three batches a day. So there are some process differences, some ingredient tweaks that you have to make along the way. But the goal is what's in the can always ends up identical. And we we test that through our QAQC lab. 
So, like, the tweaks, like, I saw you guys, you brought back the Grater's beer. Yes. Or the, the black raspberry chip, and I watched the video where Evan was saying that he tweaked, like, the raspberry. You want to have more raspberry than chocolate? Like, how did you come to that conclusion instead of just doing the same thing over? Yeah, great question. So, last year, we released, released Grater's black raspberry chip milk stout, and we thought, oh, this will be a fun little, quaint little project. It'll be real nice. Blew up honestly kind of in our face it was so that event the tapping party was absolutely nuts the largest event we've ever had and we had to plan it in a week's timeline and the beer we were very proud of it It was very balanced it was a milk stout mm-hmm. unfortunately when you put a or fortunately when you put a name like graders on the can mm-hmm. people are expecting it to taste like ice cream right and so last year the feedback we got most often was still a little too roasty for an ice cream beer though it was the right roast profile for a stout the Chocolate notes dominate the raspberry notes, so you really had to kind of let it warm to get a lot of the raspberry notes. And, you know, we want to listen. We're not too stubborn. We want to listen to feedback. And so uh, this year, we actually, at the end of last year's project, we started rebrewing, test batching a new recipe. We actually poured four batches straight down the drain during test batching, which is about 160 kegs worth of beer. Um, to get to the final result. But what we ended up doing was we used the exact same blackberry, black raspberry puree that graders uses in their ice cream. Mm-hmm. I, we kind of jokingly admit that we put as much of that puree in this beer as financially responsible. <laughs> um, and then we back down on the roasted malt and the cocoa nibs just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really raspberry for this year. And I th- think um, we also added some lactose sugar, which just sweetens the beer a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's much more what I think somebody who's just picking up a can that sees graders mm-hmm. uh, would expect out of this beer. And that was just us listening to feedback and wanting to give the customers what they want. What's sitting in front of you is revamp our IPA. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we actually did the same thing with that. When we opened, we had an IPA called Crankshaft. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. More malt forward than most IPAs, a little bit more balanced than most IPAs. Um, turns out what our brewers like to drink isn't always what customers like to drink. And so we're receiving that sort of feedback as well. You know, we would go to tailgates and we stopped taking crankshaft to tailgates. We were yeah. just taking storm all the time. So we said, okay, it's time to what we've done with our flagship IPA. And so we went with a more West Coast style, uh, more citrus and tropical notes, lighter malt body, a little bit crisper and aptly named revamp. And right. it's it's been extremely well received. And now we find ourselves taking oh. it everywhere and sharing it with everybody like you guys are. Yeah. Yeah. We've got yeah. all mad men yeah. up in here right yeah. now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're, uh, you hear the cans opening? Yeah, take your... Don't I don't know if you're allowed to drink yeah. on the job. But it is my <laughs> job to, to drink fire. on the job. <laughs> I mean, that's just also the trend in beer yeah. with a lot of your IPAs or West Coast style, Bob. People just want more citrus. So for the layperson, an IPA versus your garden variety, you know, Budweiser yeah. or lager, what's the difference? Yeah, so IPA stands for India Pale Ale, and there's probably some beer historian listening who's going to roast me on this because there's a lot of them in um, (laughs) Cincinnati, but stands for India Pale Ale. And so um, its history actually comes from shipping beer from England to India. Uh, When they were doing that, um, the beer was essentially spoiling on these ships. It wasn't cold, obviously, um, and it was going bad. And so their, their way to keep that from happening was to just load it chocolate full with hops. Essentially, the beer would become so bitter that it would mask any skunking that was happening in the beer. And so it'd get to India and it'd be more drinkable. I don't know if it'd still be a good beer, but it was uh, more palatable. Um, And so what's really interesting is the IPA history was built to make the beer last longer. And in the current nowadays, the big thing with IPAs is to drink them fresh because they have that more citrus, that more tropical, um, fresher, hoppier note. So it's kind of this flip of why the IPA was originally invented and how we enjoy it now. Um, But it has more hops and there's 
a million different hop strands, um, and different hop strands have different notes. It's actually a, um, a cousin of cannabis. Hops are, so um, you get some grassiness out of some, you get some tropical notes out of others. Grassiness. Um, <laughs> but it's, um, it, it is an acquired taste. It's what craft beer has become known for, I think, is hoppy beers. That's starting to change a little bit. But, you know, your Bud Miller Coors drinkers, we always say Storm is your gateway beer. Um, <laughs> and then eventually kind of people kind of work their way back into hoppy beers. And then it's now a lot of people who have been drinking hoppy beers for several years are actually shifting back to lagers. Yeah. Craft lager is becoming a really big deal as well. I don't know if you know your beer history, but you said skunky and shipping beer. I know Red Stripe has always had a distinctively skunky taste to it. You think that has to do with the fact they shipped it and were able to overcome the hop? I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I do know when you look at some beers like um, that come in clear glass bottles or uh, green glass bottles are also famous for that. Um, there's actually a they account for that when they're brewing the beer that the beer is naturally going to um, oxidize or kind of go a little bit skunky. And the major producers that do that, it's something that they account for, and they're able to do that and still hit the quality and consistency and flavor notes that they want um it's actually kind of amazing that they can do that so consistently that's great it's double ipa season do you have anything in the works we last year we did a double ipa release in january this year we did snow shovel which was our winter warmer rum barrel age Uh, we don't have a double ipa in the works but we have a couple uh hoppy projects i'll call them coming up um that i think people are going to really like braxton labs allows us to experiment a lot Mm -hmm. um and so we've been uh, like this Friday, we're tapping a hoppy blonde um, oh, cool. at Braxton wow. Labs, and then that we've actually a little risque. Yeah, we've <laughs> got actually. <laughs> I miss. Uh, I misspoke. Uh, we do have a double IPA coming out of Braxton Labs. I can't tell you more than that, or when, or how. Um, but we do have a double IPA coming out of Braxton Labs. How far, how far advanced do you guys uh, plan? I know you said that you had a week on the, the yeah. creators project. I'd say minutes upon minutes. It seems like yeah. um, no, uh, we. To this point of our business, um, we have been holding on to the reins of growth, if you will. Um, It's been crazy, and we haven't done as good job planning as we would like. We're really trying in 2018 to be better about that. So we've got our first half of the year Mm -hmm. um, releases lined up. We've got a pretty good feel for the second half of the year and what we want to do. I think part of what Braxton does well is we're we're doing a better job of planning, but we're still nimble enough to – um, try new things along the way. Uh, so we're pretty locked in for the first half of the year and pretty well locked in for the second half of the year. And we'll try to extend that out, you know, by the end of 2018, hopefully we'll have a full 2019 plan in place. Yeah. This industry is weird. You, you're almost always a season in advance. So during winter, mm-hmm. you start brewing your spring seasonal because it has to ferment for 20 days, let's say. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as spring comes, you start brewing your summer seasonal. So it's a little, you're walking around the brewery and you're like, it's February. Why does it smell like passion fruit? Yeah. <laughs> right? And uh, it's because we're brewing what we need to have ready for spring and summer. Right. Um, and it's always a um, kind of logistical game as much as anything. Yeah. How do you gauge the inventory? I mean, like like you said, the uh, you know the first time around the the graders was. Or, or, I mean, or, or do you brew them as being like limited edition? I mean, you want to maximize, yeah. you know, obviously how much money you can make right. on each batch. There's a balance. So we've got four beers that we do year-round. Storm, our Golden Cream Ale, Revamp, our IPA. Twisted Bit, our Dortmunder Lager. And Dead Blow, our Tropical Stout. And then we've always got um, at least one seasonal and market spotlight, which you guys have here. There's one. Blown Gasket is our winter seasonal. Um, you also have that here. So sometimes you get two. But 
after that, it's honestly, we try to brew as much as we can. We're fortunate right now, our one of our greatest challenges is just meeting demand. You're, you dedicate the majority of your tank space to those things that you've told the customer will be readily available. And then you fill the rest of the space with what you can. So like graders, we increased how much we brewed this year by 50%. And we still just were maxed out on what we could do. We'll probably could do more of that or would would have done more of that if we could but you're just limited by your capacity and then labs allows us to do really small batch things kind of one off so you get some forecasting from your distributors um, you do some forecasting yourself but it still ultimately comes down to just what your capacity is that's awesome so tell us about the the labs a little bit more so that's in the the party source where uh what an old was it eight, eight yeah eight ball was there so what happened was uh, Eight Ball is uh, the ownership group is the same as New Rift Distilling, uh-huh. um, and so that group was basically looking at the money they could invest to grow Eight Ball and whether or not that money um, invested there was better suited for the distilling side of their business. And um, New Rift is just killing it. And so ultimately, they decided they wanted to get out of both businesses and just focus on one. Yeah. Um, and so they focus on distilling. Um, they kind of, I think, came to us as their northern Kentucky neighbors and said, eight ball is going to um, cease, and w- would you guys be interested in acquiring the space and equipment? So it, I think a lot of – some people misconstrued that as us buying eight ball. That wasn't what we were doing. We were kind of presented the opportunity, and actually at the same time, we were evaluating, okay, how do we – as we try to brew everything at scale and be as efficient as possible, how do we do the small batch limited stuff that customers and restaurants really crave to put on draft? Mm-hmm. And we were in the middle of quoting out a couple of smaller brewing systems and trying to figure out where to put them. And it was just kind of serendipitous timing. Uh, so we evaluated it. It's a 15 barrel brew house as opposed to our 20 barrel brew house at um, our headquarter location in Covington. And it just became a really awesome opportunity. So we're having a lot of fun over there. We try to tap new Braxton Labs beers every week. Uh, try to do a monthly bottle release in February. Um, on wow, fe- every week? Tapping a new beer, yes. Mm. Um, wow. Just because that's that's what that space allows us to do is to brew more iterations of more styles. So we uh, try to tap a new beer every week. We have 20 taps dedicated to Braxton beer, 20 taps dedicated to guest taps, and then a monthly bottle release. So we just announced February's bottle release is on the 17th. It's a peach cobbler Berliner Weiss, mm. uh, so a tart sour <laughs> beer uh, brewed with peach, cinnamon, Berliner and Weiss. vanilla. I got to try it yesterday, not carved yet, so right out of the fermenter in Holy smokes, it was really good. Yeah. I can't I can't wait to taste that beer fully carved and chilled oh. and everything. It's it's gonna be amazing. Huh. That sounds right up my fiance's alley. She loves sours. Yeah. I mean who doesn't right yeah. now? That's also a huge trend. We've I had know. we've had a ton of fun. <laughs> <laughs> you should try have you have you tried a Berliner Weiss? I've I've not. Okay, so not it's knowingly. It is kind of <laughs> yeah. It is uh we call it a gateway sour, if you will. It's a little bit breadier it's not as um acidic as most sour so it's a really good entry point especially when you start adding fruit and sweetness like vanilla or cinnamon to it but we've got uh that we've got a lemon meringue berliner vice and then a pear and kiwi berliner vice all on tap at labs right now so we're having a ton of fun experimenting with that style and that's what labs allows us to do is there's not a real big plan over there um we kind of let it be our brewing team's playground it's like breaking bad Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Actually, I saw this just this morning. I went and uh, picked up a couple six packs. Spotlight is a white IPA. Yeah. What? Uh, 
Someone's got to do it, though. Yeah. That's right. we got to let people know what you guys are up to. I've got mm-hmm. blog posts and product descriptions to write later. <laughs> <laughs> that may have to wait. Um, <laughs> so this is uh, Spotlight, a white IPA. It is a hybrid style between uh, Belgian wit beer, which is where it gets the white portion, and an IPA. Go. So it's brewed with uh, coriander and orange peel and a Belgian yeast. Um, and then hops rather heavily, so it's it's kind of the best of both worlds. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a good winter beer that is a lot of times you're getting a lot of stouts and porters during this time of year. It's yeah. it's a great way to kind of break up that. That is tasty. Flavors. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I love this beer. This beer is um, one of our most popular seasonals. Yeah. How long has this been out? Oh, I'm spilling all over the place. Um, <laughs> cut them off. Hey, uh, you're my best friend. It's been um, it re- released it at the start of January. We'll probably run through the end of March. And last year we released it for the first time, brought it back this year based off its popularity, and then we'll rotate it into our next seasonal end of March, beginning of April, kind of depending on how long this is running. And awesome. then you guys are having an event at the Brew Pub, right, For to raise to raise money for charity, right? Yes. Spotlight. Uh, so we're doing, uh, we're calling them spotlight nights. Um, so starting on Valentine's Day, uh, we've partnered with the Brighton Center. Bring a can, get a can is what we're saying. So they've got a list of items that they are in need of if you bring any of those items. A lot of them are canned goods. Some of them are other things. If you bring any item that is on that list, uh, we'll give you a canned glass, um, a spotlight canned glass. Cool. And then we'll donate a dollar per pint uh, to Brighton Center. And then uh, we've got the... F- Three following Wednesdays, we've got a partnership with um, 22 until Valhalla and uh, Allie's Walkabout. We're doing a yappy hour with some some we're dog friendly, so we have fun with that. Um, yappy hour. Yeah, the following week we are doing uh, the American Heart Association and their Heart Mini fundraiser, and then we're also doing an event with Keep Covington Beautiful. Um, and on all those nights, we'll donate a dollar to. Um, the cause for that night and drink a lot of spotlight and hopefully raise a lot of money. That's That's awesome. awesome. Yeah, Yeah, man. The karma marketing is where it's at. That's Mm -hmm. what we always call it. You know, it's like, you know, when you give and you're a, you know, a good company is a good citizen, giving back the community. That's, uh, we always see, you know, good rewards from that. Yeah. We, that's been the most rewarding part of Braxton for us to this point is when we were evaluating where we wanted to put the business, Covington was such a different place four years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but you could see good things starting to happen. And, you know, they pitched us on this renaissance happening, and we knew we wanted to be in northern Kentucky, and they welcomed us with open arms. And now you've got Hotel Covington there, mm-hmm. um, the Hannaford there. Uh, there's new restaurants going in. There's apartments going in right next door. It's been pretty amazing. And I think the craft beer community – is starting to prove itself as an anchor for urban revitalization. Yeah. Even with restaurants, new restaurants, you guys are teaming up with Flip Daddies, right? Yeah, so um, the owner of Flip Daddies, uh, they are putting in a wood oven, um, wood fire oven, a pizza, pizza place. place. A pizza, pizza place. There's going to be yeah. pizza, yeah. Um, it's going to be called uh, Alto. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going in right next door to our Covington Tap Room. They're putting in a four-story apartment complex called Duvnex Square. Mm-hmm. Um, we got to tour, take a hard hat tour last week and they're incredible. Oh, apartments. I saw that. You posted on Instagram. Yep. Yeah, uh, they're just beautiful. Well, too too close to work for me to consider living there. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. And in the bottom floor, there's going to be three tenants. The first is going to be Alto, the pizza place. And so we're going to partner with them on doing some pizza and beer deals. And we, we will never have a kitchen in our space, but it's kind of the best of both worlds having a neighbor um, that's such a great partner. Yeah. Nice. And then, uh, and then you have the thing with Art Waves coming up, too. Yes. Uh, so that was a fun project. 
kind of that karma marketing that you have. Artswave came to us with an opportunity, and Braxton Labs kind of allowed us to do it. We had a dark saison with plums um, recipe that we wanted to brew, and we kind of said this is the right time and place for that. And uh, so we partnered with Artswave on a collaboration. It's really good. It's an 8% beer that'll sneak right up on mm. you. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's something you learn from experience. But uh, same thing. So a portion of the proceeds of that mm-hmm. those can sales um, and draft sales will go to Artswave and supporting the local arts. So I'm guessing the can's going to be super sweet. It's, yeah, so it's they're out. Um, it's, it. Our designer <laughs> had a lot of fun combining their brand and our brand. It's a bright white label with some really kind of deep dark purple on it to signify the plums it's called make waves mm-hmm. their 2018 community campaign is called ripple effect um and so we kind of played off that and um that beer is really really good when's it drop it's out uh so oh, it, it cool. released uh last week on thursday and then it'll start being distributed this week it's a pretty limited batch, so it won't be super widely available, but most places here locally that Braxton has sold um, will receive at least a little bit of it to sell to customers in awesome. around town. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, one thing I think that you guys stand out from, uh, your branding is so tight. It's so simple, clean. Like, where do you guys, I don't know, like, as far as your aesthetic goes, I mean, I think that's something that takes years to develop and seems like you guys have that right out of the gate. How did you guys, you know, come upon, you know, the, the, the Braxton brand itself besides yeah. the beer? First, uh, will you come with me to my performance review? Because that was really kind. <laughs> um, but, uh, no, so it's something that, so myself uh, coming from a marketing background and then Jake, the older brother, also um, coming from a digital marketing background, it was something that we realized was an opportunity when we opened uh, a lot of craft breweries just viewed their brand as a logo on a beer label on yeah. a bottle. And so we had this born in a garage mantra that was um, genuine, uh, you know, a real true testament to how we started. And it was something that we knew made us different and we wanted to apply to everything we did. Um, so not only the beer can label, but, you know, our website, our um, tap room space. How do we incorporate this born in a garage mantra in our tap room space? You know, that garage on Braxton Drive was a community gathering place for their neighborhood. So how do we do that in our taproom space? So we worked with, uh, it was Neltner Small Batch from the very get-go that kind of built our logo and that original born in a garage look and feel. We now use uh, Durham Brand and Company out of Covington. They're right across the street from us. So uh, they're a lot of fun to work with. And then we've got a designer um, on our staff now that does some projects as well. So there's this really great hierarchy that we launched with. Um, and we just kind of keep iterating and evolving that while staying true to who we are and what we believe in and our you know core values. And it's been a lot of fun. We get that a lot, which is something we take a lot of pride in. You know, we want people to walk into our tap room and feel like they're walking into their friend's garage, right? Yeah. Um, and so it's it's I appreciate you saying that. It, it's really encouraging to hear that because we that's something we strive for. Yeah, I mean, some people I think focus on the beer or they focus on. You know the 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 limited releases, the the crazy names, and the a lot of times it doesn't even matter what's in the can. Yeah, you know, people are buying the concept. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'll be honest. When we first opened, it was kind of frustrating me being on the marketing side of things. It was almost like breweries were either it was people only bought their beer because it was good marketing, mm-hmm. or people only bought the beer because it was good beer, and it couldn't be both. 
it, that started to change. Um, and I think now people are starting to realize because all these new breweries are still opening, they have to open, look and feel like they're legitimate or else they'll never get a chance to become legitimate. So that's changed since we opened. But I remember when we opened, it was almost like breweries wore bad brands as a badge of honor. <laughs> and that's, that's changed since then. But I remember getting some pushback when we first opened, like, oh, they're just a marketing company that happens to make beer too. But um, I think that has changed since we've opened. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Okay. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, so how do you deal with the competition? Or do you guys just kind of put blinders on and uh, just do your own thing and not worry about necessarily what everybody else is doing? Or so I, I can see it, like, in the t-shirt industry, you know, there's a lot of copycats mm-hmm. and a lot of uh, unoriginal uh, unoriginality and, and whatnot. Yeah. Um, and we used to really, like, bang our heads against the wall like oh man what are we gonna do about this or, <laughs> or uh and and really once we like put our heads down and focused on us mm-hmm. and just doing our thing mm-hmm. and quit worrying about whatever you know joe down the street's doing um that's when we really started to see progress and you know confidence in in our in ourselves uh but i mean i imagine with beer it's kind of this you know it's not not too far off uh, that mindset anyway when yeah I call it co-opetition we're all all craft beer we're all technically competing against Bud Miller Coors right mm-hmm. um, there are now some craft breweries that Bud Miller Coors own so that adds an extra wrinkle to who you're competing against Yeah, but um, here locally that's a question we get a lot is I mean are you guys friends with everybody are you is it competitive and I, we are all friends we're all working together a rising tide raises all boats um, until you're sitting at a restaurant and there's one tap handle left and eight sales reps sitting at the bar <laughs> trying to sell that buyer on their beer, right? There mm-hmm. has to be some certain level of competition. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is, it's getting, I'd say as the number of breweries are growing, the level of competition locally is increasing. But I think on the whole, we're all cooperating with the same goal to raise craft beer so but i think you're right like we try to focus just as much as possible on what we're doing and the quality and consistency in our own beers Mm -hmm. and hoping that ultimately the customer going back to revamp and knowing it's the same every time will keep bringing them back to revamp and we just need to focus on what we're doing in our own brewery also with so many new breweries opening and I, I think it's more of that you guys, like, you have the upper hand because you claim stake in northern Kentucky way before, I mean, anyone else can come into town. So that's going to help you guys just forever once this thing even goes over and the bubble finally pops yeah. for, for whatever's going to happen. A lot of people are going to... Yeah, you have to, you have to know what your core competencies are and what your competitive advantages are and just kind of really try to hammer those home. I, I don't think... Yeah, and it's a trap we fall into sometimes. You can't be everything to everybody, right? Yeah. Um, especially now in craft beer, mm-hmm. um, because there are a lot of breweries out there doing things that are hyper focused on one style. So you yeah. can't, you know, you can't own every style because there's breweries just dedicated to certain styles. So you have to um, focus on what you do well and try to own that as best as you right. can. Right? It's like, oh, we're gonna make the best pale. It's like, well, a lot of people have already done that. Yeah, so let's exactly. Do different. Yeah. Exactly. So have the offers from uh, InBev come in yet? No, no, <laughs> You're no. selling out. Come on. Uh, no, uh, I don't know if you saw. We accidentally went viral on Sunday. Um, accidentally? What do you mean yeah. accidentally? No, it was, it was, I mean, this is on me. I was halfway through a pint of Grater's ice cream, 
And um, the beer, or the the, the, yeah. the, the actual the, ice the cream. Actual ice cream. <laughs> yeah, I had I had, had a Braxton beer with dinner, and then was eating some ice cream during the third quarter. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> that uh, Budweiser commercial came on about the water. Oh yeah. And I was sitting there. I'm like, oh, that's cool. We did that with Hurricane Harvey, much smaller scale. And I'm like, we. Like, me being the marker, I'm like, I should probably say something. Yeah. Like, um, everybody's Dilly on Twitter right now. is what you should say. And so uh, I made – I actually made a self-depreciating comment about us not having any ad budget, and it, like, blew up. Like, mm-hmm. when our most popular tweet, Facebook post, Instagram post ever. Nice. Um, on complete accident. And so uh, there were some – that started this, like, in, never read the comments, right? But, like, if you read the comments, <laughs> uh, I, I get paid to do that, unfortunately. <laughs> There's a lot of AB InBev, who, who's the bad guy, who's the good guy, yeah. um, battles going on in the comments. So, But that is, I mean, we're not built to be bought. We're a family-owned business, and so that's what our focus is. I, Bud Miller, uh, Bud and Miller Coors are, you know, they are purchasing craft breweries, and it's, it's the line of what craft beer is is being blurred. There's private equity firms that are buying large stakes of breweries and it's like well is that still craft beer or is that um you know corporate beer now so it's it's a this industry is super dynamic and all the different layers of ownership and wholesalers and retailers is it's pretty pretty complex what's the dynamic of working for a family business compared to coming from the corporate world in that structure yeah uh, so it's two brothers uh evan kind of runs the business side of or the brewing side of things jake runs the business side of things and then greg their dad actually just joined us full-time he'd been helping on the side for a long time he's been working in operations for 30 years and good lord do we need some operations help at braxton so um (laughs) he finally uh joined us full-time so we're excited for that it's you know i i think there's a lot of like mom and pop connotations that come with working for a family business but that's not i mean i don't really feel that i it's a nice perk that it is we talk about the braxton family a lot of people assume braxton is a family name yeah um which is kind of cool because that's what we consider our employees as the braxton family um and so we, we try to focus more on that than we do the actual rouse family if you will and they're they've been great to um, build that culture at Braxton. It's been pretty cool. That's awesome. So you put Pop to work. Is, is Mom going to come to work? Mom, <laughs> Mom is a side project um, <laughs> savant. We'll call her. Oh. Uh, she. So I think on our um, on our website, her job title is listed as Mom slash Magician. Um, <laughs> there are things that happen at Braxton. That I'm like, I don't know who did that. And then I go ask. And I'm like, Oh, it was Tina. Of course, it was Tina. Hmm. Um, so like Christmas decorations ornaments and um this beautiful christmas tree basically pop up overnight and i'm like uh um, ghost of tina visited (laughs) and uh, decorated the tap room or um you know stocking our bathrooms with flowers we get we get commented on if you look at our yelp yelp reviews i swear like 50 percent of them are about how clean and nice our bathrooms are i don't (laughs) that's all tina like i'd love to take credit for (laughs) that but that's all yeah Yeah. so it's a it's all hands on deck but um she is just kind of the side project savant i think i met Mom and Dad at Danger Wheel would do Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we across our booth. Yeah, we were all there. They They came and gave us beer. My daughter and I, and and we we really enjoyed it. They're great. Try one of my boys' beers. (laughs) (laughs) It's so nice. Uh, They are they are great. They're at all of our events. I always Greg gives the best tour of Braxton because he it is so heartfelt. The Greg's the father. Mm -hmm. Um, It's so heartfelt and just like. 
He, I swear, he almost wells up like he's going to cry almost every time he gives this tour. It's so genuine. You need about two hours to get through the tour because his stories are amazing. Mm-hmm. But um, he is, he's, they're all so passionate about it. It's Man, really great. But he's too good to come on the podcast. Uh, yeah, he is, um, he's um, introverted until he gets started talking about, you know, the brewing equipment and brewing in his garage. But yeah. um, he but passes what a great story. Yeah. Dang. Yeah. I mean, talk about the American dream right there. Right. Wow. When we talk born in the garage, we always kind of say there's a literal and metaphorical um, aspect of that. It's where you build, create, and tinker, but it's also where so many American companies have been born out of the garage, and we wanted to celebrate celebrate entrepreneurship. We actually open at 8 a.m., Tuesday through Friday. We've got a coffee program as well and free gigabit Wi-Fi. So we invite companies to come in and use it as co-working space. Wow. We'll so, have our next meeting there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We've got <laughs> yeah. coffee. I There's a bunch of companies who are people who kind of use it almost as their office and i can always tell how their day is going from the time that they switch from coffee to beer <laughs> uh, sometimes it's noon sometimes it's uh you know five or six p.m other other days it's 10 30 a.m it just depends <laughs> on how the day's going that's awesome yeah starter coffee right yep exactly yeah, yeah. yeah. Nailed it. I did some research. There you go. Yeah, somebody did their homework. I don't know if you know this. How does Cincinnati (laughs) compare to other markets? Because I've lived here for 25 years now, so I haven't really been in other cities a lot since the craft beer thing took off. A little bit of Cleveland, a little bit of Nashville, Indianapolis. How does Cincinnati stack up with brewing heritage? Great question. As far as brewing heritage goes, there's as much brewing history in Cincinnati as anywhere in the United States. Um, It's something that I did. Until recently, I don't think was uh, really well appreciated. Cincinnati was the Milwaukee or St. Louis um, Mm -hmm. pre-Prohibition. Prohibition kind of changed that, but now we're starting to celebrate a lot of that history. As far as size of the beer market goes, we are in um, greater Cincinnati, so Cincinnati, Northern Kentucky, Lexington, Louisville, Nashville, and Dayton. Um, and to this point, it was the largest market we were in from a beer perspective. Uh, that's getting ready to change. We're going to Columbus, and Columbus is actually an even larger market. It is a very beer-friendly market. You know, when you look at places like Louisville and you always say, well, which craft beer has won the Louisville market? It's bourbon. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, you know, there is, there's certain markets where you're fighting against category as much as you are the actual beer. You know, you look at Nashville – a uh, lot of volume there, but so much of it goes through Broadway Street, and that's all Bud Miller cores, right? Yeah. So it's each market has its own um, kind of nuance to it, and we're lucky that Greater Cincinnati is a very beer friendly market. Yeah. A lot of history. So you're looking at Columbus. Are you looking at any states? Any like out west? Is that out of the question? No, or, we. I, I think like, we want to stay regional. Um, Columbus is next for sure. Uh, I think the logical next steps would be rest of state Ohio, rest of state Tennessee. We're mm-hmm. already in all of Kentucky. And then you start to look at places like Indiana, Indianapolis. You know, to this point, we've grown very rapidly. And now I think we're focusing on depth as opposed to breadth. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're going to evaluate opportunities as they become available, but um, we're not going to rush into any new market. We try to let demand tell us when the right time is to go to the market. So, yeah. for example, last year, when we released Graders, we received as many calls from Columbus as we did Cincinnati about where that beer was available. Really? And we weren't even shipping any beer to Columbus yet. So we knew um, this year when we released Graders, we really needed to make it available in Columbus. So we used that as a launching point for all of our beer being distributed in Columbus. And we've got an awesome lineup of events. We've got an awesome sales rep in that market. So it's going to be a really fun market for us to be in. That's awesome. Yeah. How many reps do you guys employ? 
Uh, so sales reps, we've got one in each market that we're in. So uh, we've got seven and then a sale, um, a head of sales um, that manages all of them. We're starting to, you know, you have to start to think, about, okay, do you need regional sales markets? At what point do you, is it yeah. possible for one sales manager to manage so many reps? But right. total employees were close to 50 full-time and part-time. And it's been really fun starting from the day we opened, we had six employees to where we are now. It's been absolutely wild. That's, That's cool. great. When you make that jump to another state, like was there was there obstacles to even get into Ohio, or you talk about Indiana? Like, yeah, like you, you can't just you know go to Indianapolis and start selling right. I would, your beer. I wish we could. <laughs> um, it's interesting. The alcohol industry is probably as well regulated as any industry outside of healthcare um, in the world. So it's uh, regulated federal. Um, state and local levels. Kentucky is particularly challenging because uh, the three tiers are legally required. We love our distribution partners, um, but it does put a wrinkle. We can't self-distribute. Yeah. Um, so that that's an extra wrinkle when we start to look at new markets. We are, we're always signing on with the distributor. So it's been interesting. There's always paperwork and licensing and permitting, different tax amounts in each state is always different. Uh, Nashville was a fun one. Up until June of 2016, any any alcohol beverage that was over 8%, which there's a decent amount, or no, 6.5%, there's a lot of beers over 6.5% was considered malt liquor in Tennessee. So essentially wow. you couldn't sell beer over six and a half percent in Tennessee. That's changed now. Now it's, but it's still like 10 or 12 percent, something relatively low that's, you kind of have to monitor. So that's, there's always, and it's all based, it's all archaic language from prohibition. And so like Indiana is a good one. People are always like, well, why aren't you in the tri-state, right? Why aren't you in Indiana? Indiana is one of the toughest states to distribute into um, based on some laws and regulations. If, you know, back when Coors Banquet used to be the craft beer that everyone was seeking out, Indiana was actually the last state that they distributed it to. For the longest time, you couldn't get it in Indiana, and then um, finally they did start distributing there. So it's uh, it's interesting. You have to evaluate each market and each state, city completely independently because it's regulated at three levels. Like Indiana, you can't sell on Sundays. It can't be sold cold in grocery stores. Correct, yeah. And you can't sell it in Dang. gas stations. Right. So, what is what, Billy, what's the homework? So the Sunday, <laughs> I, I'm from Indiana, so this is something that's near and dear to my heart. But that Sunday thing is getting ready to change, it looks like, finally. Good. Why they didn't do it before the Super Bowl, I don't know. <laughs> my my, uh, my friend, uh, my late friend, Jim Luger, is a stand-up comedian who passed yeah. away a couple years yeah. ago. You might know, I know Jim. I remember yeah, Jim. Yeah, yeah. Jim had a great joke. Uh, you, can, you can't buy beer on Sundays in Indiana, but you can buy nails at the hardware store. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy. The, I, so a lot of people always you know, reference the Sunday Indiana beer sales thing. I think the cold in grocery stores is just as big a deal, if I not a bigger deal. It, there's debate on whether or not cold storage has a tangible impact on the beer. That's a separate conversation. But I mm-hmm. think the customer thinks that it does mm-hmm. um, and what the customer thinks is right. And I think that causes... Um, a decrease in beer sales at the grocery level because they can't get it cold. Right. I mean, we've been told for years about how beer, how cold a beer can get. Ice they, cold from the Rockies. Right, yeah. Freezing are, cold. Are your mountains blue? What's Tate say? We can't trust our hands? Yeah. <laughs> but it's just like there's that. on, on and, uh, and even like I think what would affect me more if I was living in Indiana is the gas station because of the convenience factor mm-hmm. of 
I can get gas, I can get cigarettes, I can also get beer. Yeah. And I can All your vices in one yeah. place. Done. <laughs> Perfect. Take yeah. off. You get know, some like, lotto tickets. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like I used to work at the Growler Stop in yeah. Newtown. Absolutely. You know, I got that great spot. off the ground. It was awesome. It was a great, it's it was amazing. really cool. But that even like established an, an even different kind of thing with, with convenience. Like, oh, I can sit and have a beer and fill my gas tank yeah. up. I'm like, that sounds like entrapment. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, with a hot dog in it. But it's just like, so it, I don't understand, like, I just don't, I, I mean, I get why Indiana hasn't changed it, but it just, yeah, I don't understand how much of a fruitful endeavor it would be to just even crack it open. And it's crazy to see them, even more breweries distribute from Indiana to here. Like, Three Flitch just upped it, and it's yep. deep here. So. The fun one in Indiana used to be you couldn't serve pints without having a food option available. So, like, a lot of tap rooms couldn't serve pints. <laughs> There's a brewery in Indianapolis, uh, Sun King Brewing. Mm-hmm. They started serving Hot Pockets for, like, $20. <laughs> like, it was a $20 hot, bo- hot Pocket and, like, a $30 can of soup or something. And you had to have, <laughs> you had to have non-alcoholic beverages available as well, so they had milk available. <laughs> and they were just essentially uh, trolling Indiana legislation with like all these menu items so they could serve pints in their mm-hmm. tap room. I love that's Sun King. Yeah. Osiris, right? That's their yep, pale? Yep, that's their pale ale. It's very good pale ale. Damn. Dang, he's on it today. Yeah. Killing it, man. You got any other stories from like other uh, I don't know, micro brews have had you know problems either Dealing with the man, or uh, man, you, you want know, all the dirt? Le- huh? Yeah. <laughs> Let's open up a blown gasket here before uh, this is the third, the third in our Cincy Shirts podcast sampling. <laughs> blown gasket as a robust porter. Yeah. Sounds. Uh, this is another beer that uh, has homebrew brewing roots. Um, one of our uh, brewers, he was a homebrewing friend of Evan that started with us. Um, just kind of helping on the side with recipe development. This is actually his recipe. He won a ton of awards with it. Um, we made a few minor tweaks when we went to scale it up. Uh, what's fun is when we release this beer, we actually give away homebrew kits for people to brew five-gallon batches at home. We give them all the ingredients, essentially everything they would need except the yeast because we can't package that very easily. To give their 16-year-old at home to... Yeah, exactly. So we, <laughs> we send it home with them, and then we say, go make your version of blown gasket. You can either try to mimic it, or you can add some new ingredients, some new adjuncts to it to make your own flavor, and then bring it back to us, and we post a blown gasket homebrew competition. So it's a lot of fun. It's, it's cool to give back to the homebrew community because they played such a huge role in Evan's development. Um, so this is a really fun project for everyone involved. Yeah. So you talk about awards, like what's the Oscars of, uh, micro brews? Great question. Uh, there's two major, um, ones, the, uh, world beer cup, which happens every other year, uh, at craft brewers conference. And then, uh, the great American beer fest out in Denver happens every year. And it is crazy competition. We've had a couple local breweries have won, um, some medals, here um, at GABF and um, World Beer Cup. We haven't won it yet. Uh, we're, we're working on that, so we're hoping this year we've got some things in store that'll uh, make that. But anymore, it's, you, um, you know, you're know you competing against 250 other beers for three medals yeah. in each category. Um, and then there's, there's some, I'm not, I'm not making excuses, but, um, you know, there's some inherent obstacles that comes with entering a beer competition in Denver 
from the Midwest or from the East Coast. If you look at a lot of the people who won those awards, it's uh, you're getting a lot of beer from Colorado yeah. and the Rocky Mountains and California, where potentially, and I don't know, I could uh, this could be way off, but uh, the beer's maybe a little bit fresher, hasn't gone you know as much altitude change or hasn't been on a plane or a truck for a long period of time, um, and so there is some inherent hurdles I think for breweries out of further away from Denver or wherever CBC is at that particular year that makes what some of the local breweries that have won awards done that much that much it more sounds impressive. like they need to switch uh, locations I'm yeah. all for that bring it to Cincinnati yeah. uh, CBC uh, Craft Brewers Conference is actually in Nashville at the start of March oh, um, cool. so we're excited to go down there and have a big presence down there um, with some of our friends in the industry uh, that's a really fun fun conference where you um, th- that one's more focused on the industry where GABF's more focused on the customer, mm-hmm. the craft beer drinker. Um, so CBC is a week long of learning and fighting a hangover at the same time, <laughs> oh, uh, sure. pretty much constantly. So it's a lot of fun. <laughs> now from the marketing perspective, I mean, you, you know, you've used all these flowery adjectives to describe every flavor and mm-hmm. whatnot. And then you watch the Super Bowl, and then all you got to do is just say dilly dilly and the whole world, <laughs> the whole world just but loves like it. Night. Yeah. Like how you got to just sit there and just want to bang your head against the wall when you see that nonsense, don't you? Yeah, I mean, they are they are who they are for a reason, you know. They've got <laughs> they've got an agency and probably an army of marketers coming up with those things. Um, but you see, it is interesting. You look at um, Bud Miller, Coors, Michelob Ultra, a lot of those mic- or macro loggers, you know, they are more marketing around uh, when you drink your beer, um, whether it's at a party or after you go on a run and you're trying not to intake a lot of calories or, you know, at a football game, whatever it is, where I think a lot of craft beer is focused on why you drink it, whether it's local owners, the story, supporting local business, or the flavors, the actual ingredients that go into the beer. So it's, it's an interesting dichotomy between um, kind of how those beers approach their customers and the Bud Miller cores of the world kind of going with the situational drinking where um, I think craft beer is more focused on the why. And, you know, if we can grow that into a macro impact, that's great. But if not, you know, there's there's a lot of market share out there for craft beer still to gain. Um, and I think telling the why will help us do that. Why do you, like, how did you guys feel after last year when the macro brews went after you guys? Yeah. Like, oh, we don't make a pumpkin spiced lager. We make beer. Yeah. It's just like, no, we, we make beer. But like, how did, how did the community re- re- respond to them, the big guys who were buying the small guys? Yeah, it's really, after the small guys? it's really interesting. Uh, so I think last year they said something about a peach, yeah it was some like peach stout or something and actually what was hilarious was um they had just this is ab and bev they had just acquired a brewery in portland called elysian yeah and their head brewer was like oh well this is awkward and he like linked to their beer that was exactly what they had just dissed in their commercial (laughs) um and uh but like it's so tough because the people who are screaming and shouting about um but like stop buying our local breweries you're bad for the industry mm. As it's a loud minority you know the average mm. person who's buying beer in a grocery store or your local liquor store really has no idea yeah um that's it's starting to change a little bit but on the whole there's that's it's a loud minority that's screaming and shouting about that yeah. 
You know, you look at Goose Island was kind of the first really big one that AB InBev acquired. And I think people are starting to associate them more with Anheuser, Budweiser, however you want to phrase it. But it goes back to focusing on what you can control. And again, I'm just not sure the average beer drinker, not even craft beer drinker, really knows or cares. Uh, I think, I mean, I would disagree with that just because like, you know... Like when I, I started drinking at at, at twenty one, yeah. I mean craft beer was already on my palate. Like even when I was yeah. nineteen, I was serving at a restaurant that specialized in craft beer. So I think even when those people get older, those that like the, the local stuff will will outweigh the macro because they want to connect with the community. Yeah. They want to keep drinking locally. So I think they feel threatened, and so I think that's going to change. I would. I would love if you're right. Like, I, I honestly, like, I, I hope you're right. You know, it it's probably goes to me being playing maybe a little more conservative just based on me not wanting to kind of count my eggs before they've had oh, essentially. But um, I I hope you're right. And I, I do think it's starting to shift a little bit. If you look, I think craft beer has like between 15 and 20% of total market share. Mm-hmm. So there's still just huge opportunity out there. And that's how that's, Bud Miller Coors' new way to fight that market share shift is to just buy up the craft breweries. Um, yeah. so, so it's interesting. It's um, I think it's only going to be amplified um, the more and more it happens and the more breweries they start to acquire. Uh, that message is just going to get told more and more. Yeah. Right. But it's more than just an exchange of money. They what they take the recipe and then they try to figure out how to make it with cheaper ingredients and yeah it's all about scale else. so it's not so you know budweiser would go to a small brewery and say well we can we can brew that beer for one fifth of the cost at our plants in st louis ohio florida texas um and you'll sell five times as more of it we'll start distribution nationwide mm-hmm. we can take your keg price and essentially price it the same as Bud Light, every bar owner in the world will buy that before they bro- buy a craft beer that is 50% more expensive. And so it's a really tough challenge right now. I think the more the customer is educated that, um, you know, you're supporting local um, business owners when you buy Braxton, the better off we will all be and hopefully the better product mm-hmm. um, the customer will ultimately receive more often. Well, I think that uh, that gives you guys a pretty good uh, intro to the uh, the life of uh, Braxton Brewery. Anything else from uh, you guys? Oh, yeah. So at the end of uh, every podcast, we like to allow the guest to say one word or small phrase that will be used for a 20% off promo code good at scentsyshirts.com. Yeah, we haven't even mentioned this whole time. I was going to say, go buy some beer. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Go buy some shirts. Go buy some beer. For sure. The purpose of the podcast is really just to get to know people. It's not a big commercial for Cincy shirts. But while we're at it, (laughs) we do have a deal with Braxton to where we are allowed to sell their uh, merchandise on our website and in our stores. Uh, So we got some some cool shirts uh, in our stores right now. Uh, So come check them out. And online, after this podcast uh, is... Uh, released until the next one. Uh, you can use promo code Lift One to Life. Is that too long? Ooh, Lift One to Life. Like well, that, maybe. Yeah, we got spaces and numbers. Uh, I can change it. I can okay, change it. Yeah. let's simplify this. Come on, we've been drinking. Do you want to do? Uh, <laughs> let's do Storm. Storm. Okay. There you go. Perfect. Perfect. 
But got it all started. <laughs> Promo code STORM will save you 20% off at CincyShirts.com. And hashtag lift one to life after you yeah. make your order. Yeah, is that your official hashtag? Yeah, that's, that's what we use as our uh, lift kind one of celebration. Of the number one or O-N-E? Oh, spell it all out. Okay, spell yeah, it all out, you guys. Hashtag lift one for life. Let them know you're listening and all that good stuff. But yeah, Jonathan Gandalf, thanks for coming in. Absolutely, uh, for an us. episode of the Cincy Shirts Podcast. In heaven there is no beer. That's why we drink it here. And when we're gone from here, all our friends will be drinking all our beer. Bracton Brewing's Jonathan Gandalf. Uh, if you're in the Tri-State, you can find them pretty much all over the place, both at bars and inside stores as well. That's as far north as Dayton and Columbus, and as far south into Kentucky as Louisville and Lexington. They're also in Nashville, Tennessee. Indiana is still being sorted, as you heard in the interview. They're trying to get around some, uh, well, not really get around, they're trying to, uh, they're waiting for, uh, I guess, legislation in Indiana that would allow them to more easily enter the Indiana market. I guess it's a better way to put it. So anyway, if you're in those parts, uh, we recommend it. And full disclosure, we do some of their apparel, but I was a fan of Bracton before that, for the record. So uh, I'm being honest with you. So, also, thanks to our product manager and craft beer expert, Billy DeVore, again, for sitting in and helping us out on that one. Today's show was produced by me, with help from Josh and Darren. Our theme music is Cincinnati by Big Nothing. They are from Philadelphia. You can find them on Facebook, and, of course, you can find that song in iTunes or wherever else you buy your music. Find vintage teas from Philadelphia and other great cities like Cleveland, Louisville, Pittsburgh, Seattle, Portland, and more at OldSchoolShirts.com. And in case you missed it, the promo code for this episode is STORM, and you can use that at both Cincy Shirts as well as OldSchoolShirts.com and get yourself 20% off your entire order. Beer shirts or not, whatever. Uh, And again, if you're in the Cincinnati area, stop by one of our stores. We are in Over the Rhine on Main at Liberty, but are moving down the block to the corner of 13th and Main. In fact, by the time this drops, we should mostly be moved into the new spot at 1301 Main. And then we're also in Hyde Park on Observatory at the corner of Edwards Road. That's a block from Hyde Park Square. And Loveland is coming soon. We're hoping for late May or early June on that one, so keep an eye out for that. We will definitely keep you posted. Uh, Download or stream us next time. Bye. Bye.